everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of Link to the Cast. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week for this special weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera by the platforming prodigy, Old Man Robinson. How are you, Mark? Was it, was it necessary? Every so often I say it just to just pop to Jack. Just to remind me, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, At one stage he asked me to slip in Old Man Robinson into a conversation. I don't think he was expecting me to do it on a podcast. Right. And I popped him big time. Uh, That one's for you, buddy. I'm in the dressing gown. It's that time of the year. Dressing gown and hoodie combination. Yeah. Uh, The temperature has dropped somewhat. Yeah, it has a little bit. Clearly, global warming is not a real. The thing, thing is, like in the in the room you you live in in the house, it's one of the coldest rooms. Like, it, short of the the extension at the back of the house, like I think that's the only room that's colder than yours. Like, yeah, my so obviously the heat rises, so the bottom floor of the house will be colder. My suffering and penance is uh, continuing. Yeah, well, look, we're getting the the boiler service soon. As soon as the the fucking the the painting gets done, that's the next thing to pay for. Speaking about. Um... Irish culture and things that I'm learning. Oh like yeah, we need. To, I need to write that as an agenda item so I don't forget it every week. Mark, what have you learned about Ireland this week? Well, uh, your trade services are useless as useless as ours. Yeah, um, I it's a case of like the the painter, like he's a nice guy and everything yeah, like that, lovely. you know. And I have it that the whole thing is, you know, you never uh, just ring the first guy you see in the book. You always get recommended somebody who did a good job. You elsewhere. get a friend of a friend. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard like. I know a couple of people who have used this guy and he's done a bang up job, but I think it's a case of when he has jobs on, he's very kind of slow about getting to the people he hasn't started work for yet. Sure. So I'm going to need to chase up on that. And it's kind of my own that it just goes out of my head and I forget about it, um, that I haven't chased him because I was supposed to hear back from him by... Monday gone from last week? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I just keep forgetting until it's too late in the evening to ring him. So I might just... Uh, Except for also when I politely remind you as well. That yeah, you... I'm not doing anything tomorrow, so I might uh, might give him a bell. Sure, I'm, I'm tomorrow in the morning, like I'm going to see Welcome to Night Vale tomorrow night. It's going to be yeah, a good time. Are. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to that. Um, what, what have you been doing this week, Mark? I see you have down here on the schedule that you've watched a documentary. Oh, yeah. I f- I, you know, I forgot I even written that, so you just reminded me there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the new Adam Curtis documentary, mm. Hypernormalization. Yeah. Like a like an Adam Curtis documentary, they're they're quite good. They're scary, mm. and um, I think a lot of people like the, the the two lads we live with here, Brian and Dan. Their first exposure to Adam Curtis um, was because he did a couple of shorts for Charlie Brooker, Charlie Brooker's, yeah. on Weekly Wipe. Yeah, and one of them absolutely scared the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was that? Um, oh God, I think it was the Post Truth Era one. Okay, something like that. Um, I I could be talking out my arse here, but it was the. I mean, they're all like pretty scary on on the nose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how was this new one? Hypernormalization, it's called. Yeah. So, I mean, they all. It's up on iPlayer now. It is up on iPlayer, so I've had to get it through nefarious yeah, means. Yeah, we we don't have iPlayer over here in no. Ireland, so you've had to purchase acquire it. through other means. Yeah. I mean, Adam Curtis documentaries have a certain kind of tone. Um, and they have a certain visual style and flair, which is Adam Curtis goes into the archives of the BBC uh, building and just picks up random elements and bits and pieces from the past kind of 50 years of, of television and news. Yeah. And what you have at times is what he's saying, this very kind of bleak and stark view of the world set up against um, sometimes something that visually doesn't kind of match but the mm. juxtaposition makes what he's saying that much more 
uh, intense and terrifying sometimes. But um, but basically, like he kind of there's sort of loose threads and plot points that are all kind of tied together, and it talks through everything from uh, kind of government conspiracy. Uh, with government conspiracies that the government created to distract you from other things that are going on. Uh, there's a lot there about uh, UFOs and uh, kind of the government sort of planted those there because they were actually what they were seeing were sort of secret um, military yeah, yeah. jet fighters and stuff, which yeah, I think yeah. is kind of, you know, known anyway. It's out there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot there about uh, Damascus and New York in uh, the 70s and kind of actually sort of what was going on between the two and the relationship between the two. Um, there's bits and pieces around Trump, who I'm not, I don't think anyone's too surprised, kind of pops up. Uh, the Arab Spring, and then that all kind of ties together with, you know, where we are uh, and our kind of feelings around ISIS and like Al-Qaeda um, and how that came to be. Yeah, it, you know, it covers a lot of stuff that I think for us and our generation, I feel, certainly for me, like a lot of it I'm aware of, but it's kind of passed over me. And it's only in the yeah. last couple of years where I've become more kind of hyper aware of of what's going on. Um, that it all kind of has really dawned on me that Jesus Christ, like it's, it's a very scary time that we're living in. Uh, but it's definitely worth watching. It's about two and a half hours long. I don't think I can really do it justice for what it's trying to talk about because you know Curtis has his own very unique way and there's very few people that can explain what he's talking about the way that he can explain himself mm. so I you know if you've seen a Curtis doc documentary before and you enjoy them I don't think enjoy is the right term to use but whatever appreciate it. appreciate consume uh, I'd, I'd give it a, a hearty recommendation it gets a Mark Robinson recommends yeah the other great thing that uh, just showed up right before we went on air Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, my friend. A film that I don't think it'll be a surprise to anybody that we uh, quite enjoy, considering our uh, theme song is the 8-bit version of Come and Get Your Love. Uh, it's... Oh, first it was a poster, and the poster was pretty cool. Everyone lean, doing the cool guy lean against the wall with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then moments later... Moments later, an actual teaser trailer a dropped. A nice one-two punch. Yeah, which has um, still got a feeling again, uh, the kind of, like, the sort of anthem for the Guardians. Uh, not much given away. That's the art of the teaser trailer. It shows you visuals. It gives you a vibe. doesn't give anything away. Um, Big Dave Batista being a great, great man. Chris Pratt just being Chris Pratt. Yeah. He's good and, at that. Yeah, and uh, little baby Groot at the end. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about this. I still think that they missed a trick by not calling this film Guardians of the Galaxy Once More with Feeling, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've been banging on that drum for a while now. Yeah, I'm excited for that, and little baby Groot in his little red jacket is pretty adorable. Yeah, so that's uh, 5th of May 2017 that's <sighs> supposed to be out. I, I didn't enjoy how it said this summer, and it's like, well, that's next uh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's seven months away. But, you know, we got Doctor Strange. I'll have a review of Doctor Strange by oh, yeah, next week's podcast, hopefully. I think. Yeah, I'm going to see it next Tuesday. I'll give you a review of Girl on the Train. <laughs> I look forward to that. And I'll give a review of Storks. Oh, yeah, Storks, you son of a bitch. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Um, yeah, so shall we talk about some video games? Is that video show? games? Yeah. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. 
Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. What have you been playing this week, David? It's been a quite enough week uh, in terms really? of new con- Well, in terms of new content coming out, um, because the one game that we've both played the entirety of that's relatively new was out last week. We just hadn't played it yet. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so I've been by myself. I've mostly been playing Mafia Three, uh, both out of a kind of desire to get a game beaten before another one comes out in busy season. Because uh, they uh, the, they're coming out of the flock. thick and fast. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the thing with Q three and Q four is that just the games just keep on coming every week. There's a big one, or every two weeks there's post-madden. a couple of big ones. What it's post Madden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the it's the storm. Yeah. We are we are right in the thick of it's it. So BM and AM. Yeah, and especially because there's a game that I hadn't planned on picking up that I'm thinking about picking up now with a couple of trade ins that we'll be talking about later in the show. Mm-hmm. So I won't I won't uh, tip the the hat too much there or show my hand but uh mafia 3 really really good game i like it a lot it's not a great game but it's a very good open world sandboxy adventure is it gonna be in your mad i'm calling it the honorary mad max award of your seven out of ten we've gotta actually nail down a title for that award i think (laughs) (laughs) you know off air obviously yeah but yeah, I think it's a very, very strong contender for that. Um, we, uh, I'm not going to harp on about the, the excellent soundtrack, which I talked about last week. Um, I, I can go on now. I've played the IRA mission that we talked about in the news last week. Still not offended. No. <laughs> so that's my update on that. Well, I mean, to be um, fair, I mean, you're not what I would classify the offensive type in terms of you being offensive or taking offended. or yeah, easily offended. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I, I'm yeah, I'm quite grounded when it comes yeah, to that. Yeah, so I don't know if you're yeah. the the kind of the audience. But I'm able to, to acknowledge out. something that is offensively done mm. at sure. the same yes. time, and I don't think it is. I think it's handled with relative care for these things. Mm-hmm. Like, I I think if you're gonna talk about something that may have been handled offensively, you can't look straight at the IRA without looking past the great honking fucking red siren that is racial tensions in the south. <laughs> That's the bigger issue that's being dealt with all the time, and that is handled quite sensitively as well, like or quite realistically, shall yeah, we? Yeah, remind me like the the kind of core concepts of what the whole um, IRE like bit in the game. Well, is. it's kind of like there's a lot of uh, during the troubles, like there's a lot of Irish expats who would sympathise with Republicans back here. This is in real life. This yeah, isn't yeah. in the game. No, I remember you saying this last and week. And yeah. would kind of, uh, you know. Sentence. backhandedly support in one way or another the Republican effort back home mm. to oust the British from the north and uh, that's kind of what it does here it's that your your guy um, oh what's his name I can't think of his name he's one of your kind of your lieutenants basically that you can put as the head of different districts you're taking over he is the thick Belfast accent on him so he's like first generation removed from Ireland and he is getting you to hijack cars to equip with bombs to set off uh, back home in Ireland. Um, And that's basically it, really. Like, it doesn't delve too deep into Republican versus Unionist kind of thing. What it is is just a guy who would have Republican sympathies and he's leaning into the tropes, like what you would expect from something like that. Yeah, it's not making a statement. There's no glorification of like, hey, we're blowing up the British, isn't that fucking fantastic? Like, obviously he thinks that. Yeah, yeah. That character, but the game doesn't slant it in such a way that everybody should think it's great when we're car bombing the British. No, it's just, that's what was happening. That's what was happening. And that's kind of the the tone of the whole game. Yeah. But 
Um, the more I go in, the more I realize that um, the voice acting, which I, I praised last week, is like the voice acting and motion capture of this game is second to none for games I've played this year. It's fucking incredible. Like it's it's really really good, um, and it really keeps me coming back. I do see what, at this point now what people were going on about in terms of it getting a bit repetitive. But I've always said that repetition is fine once the thing you're repeating is still fun to you. And to me, it's still fun. I, under- I understand and acknowledge that for other people, it's not. Like, after a while, it probably gets tedious repeating the same kinds of missions. There's always little kind of slight differences. You know, you might be killing the guy at the set, like, who's being guarded by a bunch of dudes. You might be in- just interrogating him. You might be trying to turn him to your side. You might be trying to destroy or rob a bunch of cars that are around you might be trying to destroy like liquor stills or something like that but mechanically in broad strokes they're kind of a lot of the missions are roughly the same mm-hmm. or you know kind of uh similar at least uh so i i, I acknowledge a lot of people did, like that's where they got hung up on uh, and some of the hilarious glitches as well that happened but i gotta say i haven't had a lot of them um, I've had some glitches with, like, the day and night cycle has gone really weird at some points. Um, what, like, the moon's crashed, or...? No, no, like, um, you know the thing where, like, uh, in GTA, if you arrive at a mission at the wrong time, in GTA Five, not in all GTA games, because you say to fuck off and come back at night, but in GTA Five, if you arrive, it will just fast forward. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it does that, but it doesn't do it while you're, like, it doesn't do the thing where you go into the mission and you... And it goes, vroom, fast forward, start the mission. What it does is, like, as you're driving to that part of town, it does it real fast as you're getting to the place. Is that a glitch or is that by, by design? <laughs> <laughs> like, I would lean on the side of them thinking it was a smooth idea, but it just looks weird. Okay. Um, I noticed it a couple of times. Like, I haven't noticed it as much since the last patch, so maybe it's been dealt with now. I know they have uh, some stability stuff put in now with one of the patches that went in last week. But uh, I, I really still enjoy the game quite a bit. Um, I'm hoping to get it done by maybe next week um, and be able to definitely give it a proper um, defense if I decide to put it forward as a strong contender for our game of the year, okay. whatever I call it that. But that's that's pretty much what I've been playing. Like everything else, like FIFA, WD2K17, I don't really have that much to add to them. It's no, just... I think everything you, you kind of said about WWE last week, that there's not that much more you can add to it. Really. You know, that game is always going to be roughly what the same. Is, yeah. like, um, and, and, well, that and I don't FIFA. mean that in a bad way. No, yeah. no, no, no. FIFA as well, yeah. Um, so one game that like I haven't been playing, but I've been watching you play that I want to talk about. Uh, you have started into a game I lauded very much on the podcast near the start of the year, and that is Jonathan Blow's The Witness. Yeah. You have been down with The Witness. I have been. Which is a new kind of live stream series we've been doing. The, the first one of which is up on YouTube uh, as of time of recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who don't know, Mark, a brief run through of The Witness and then some of your thoughts. Sure. So The what? Witness is a first-person puzzle game by Jonathan Blow famous for games like Braid and Flow. And the uh, very simple concept is you that there is an island and there are these puzzles where you need to connect um, one... You start in one corner, essentially, and you have to make your way to the other corner. Yeah, point A to point B, point a to point draw a line. Yeah. And every time that you do a puzzle, a new mechanic is introduced to you. 
but it's not explicitly told to you. You have to kind of figure it out for yourself. But the game mm. does a good job of yeah. explaining it. It, it teaches you way. by giving you a simple version of the mm. puzzle for you to try and figure out, and then adds. Uh, yeah, expands on that idea and uh, so on and so forth. And so I briefly watched you play it around about the time that it came out. I think yes. we did a, a quick look stream. January, February, maybe. I don't think we did. I don't think we did a stream. Yeah, I think we did. Did we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Huh. Yeah. Um, So I I had a rough idea of what was going on. That was, you know, then, and this is now. And we're coming up to that time of the year where, you know, we're thinking about what our game of the year is going to be. And I don't think it's going to be that, but I do think that it needs to at least have some part of the conversation. Yeah, I don't think it's my game of the year, but I think it, it definitely for me should be in the conversation just to yeah. get get a mensch or it's certainly say. if not that certainly like it has a style to it it has a presence to it uh-huh. and it will definitely go on like our you know best looking game yes. category for and sure. i mean to be fair it's not hard for that because it's a very static game mm. you know there's very few animations yeah, going but on I, as i kind of point out to you as well still though they don't have to do it you know what I mean? No, like, no, no, of course It not. could just be, like, austere rooms yeah. with just panels, you know what I mean? So, like... The, the word I would use to describe the environment is sterile. Yeah. Because, or, or even artificial. Eerie. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Lost, in that, you know, well, not for the first part, but certainly later on, where... In that there's an island with weird shit going on, and you don't know what the fuck it is, and you're e- trying to... Yeah, and you kind of get that impression early on, you know, you've got the, the statues of the people, and you don't know what's, what that is about, but... I can see why some people might just throw past the game off as just a quirky little thing that Jonathan Blow made, because in in some essences it is exactly that. And it is it is a bit of a prohibitive cost for a digital game. It's forty quid. Yeah, that's. I can see why people might be put off by that as well. And if you're not enjoying the puzzles from the get go, you, you know, that's that is the game essentially. You have yeah. to figure out the puzzle and its variants of that. Mm. But I'm liking that it doesn't hold your hand. It doesn't explain things explicitly. Oh, you have not. to figure out for yourself. But it gives you at least a thread of an idea that you can kind of work out from mm. there. And I like as well, as, as you've explained on the first stream, if you just told me what to do, yeah. I would just end up getting myself lost. You know? Yeah, because like the game is designed and tiered in such a way as to teach you the mechanic yourself. So if in a sequence of three puzzles... I teach you how to do the first one or I tell you the solution to the first one. You're not going to have learned the lesson of that one. So when you go to the more complicated ones, you're fucked. Yeah. You know, you're not going to know what to do. So, I mean, we, we're only a couple of hours into it and it is, everything we've done is more or less what I've known the game to be. Mm. So I think I'm going to need a good few more hours to really, like, truly understand um, if there's anything more to the game. Mm. Um, if my feelings towards the game kind of f- tail off, if I can kind of get bored or if I just get frustrated, I'm probably going to get frustrated no, because I already am. Yeah. But if it's the kind of good frustration, you know. So, you know, I, I probably will come back to it next week and I'll have a kind of very clear cut definition, clear cut definition of if I think this is going to be one of the games of the year or whether it's just, it's a fun little idea, but over the span of, of six or seven hours, it just doesn't hold my attention. Um, I'm talking to somebody in the stream today that played it for was 60 hours, he said? That's, that's a long time. To be that's a guy who I'm sure did the 100% run because there's yeah. an ending and then there's a 100% ending which involves you, like, to get the normal ending, you only have to 
completes seven areas and then that unlocks the end game area. Mm-hmm. But to do the 100%, you have to beat all 11 areas, get the environmental puzzles, like the one that we found in one yep. of our streams. Um, uh, what else? You have to yeah, beat all 11 areas, beat the, the, the end, the normal end area. And then we stumbled across a door with a complicated puzzle. Mm-hmm. You have to find all those doors, open the thing, find what's inside. And then when you stumble upon the area that leads to the 100% end game, you use the solutions you found in behind those doors to get you there. And then when you go in, the worst three words in the English language are there. Procedurally generated puzzles. Ah. Well, so I'm not going to worry no, about that yet, but yeah. what, what I will say... And it's on a timer. What I do appreciate is that clearly everything has been put into consideration for this game. Yeah. And they're the games that you tend to have the most appreciation for because... Um, you can see the craft. The craft. Everything can be a puzzle. So yeah. you're constantly on the lookout. You don't walk past anything and just kind of throw it off. This is not a put a podcast in your earphones. No. Because even the sound is a hint sometimes. Yeah, and that probably has thrown a lot of people off. So I, you know, I, I am appreciating the game for what it is. Um, and I'm looking forward to really just kind of spending a good few more hours and just knuckling down with it. Because I'll be honest, when we get to the end of the of the hour with our streams, mm. I want to continue playing. Yeah, which is um, rare for our streams because usually there are things like Beyond Two Souls where yeah, yeah. you can't run far enough away. But at the same time... It's the kind of game where after an hour, if you're getting stuck on something, you need to just kind of walk away. Yeah. Should look at the the one. Uh, the we're, 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 the yeah, we're a couple of episodes ahead in our recordings. And at the end of part two, you'll see Mark gets absolutely just, just completely flunked. hits the wall yeah. with a puzzle. But we came back uh, for part three and you just blew past it. Yeah. yeah. It's first time. So, yeah, it's cool. I like it. I, li- I like the witness. Um, speaking of games that we, we both been involved in, uh, we sat down and played Gears of War 4, or as we know it, Gears of 4, or as you might call it, Gears of More. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at kind of how both of us feel about these games, you like the original trilogy, you've, you've played through them, you, you recommended them highly to me the first time they came up on the podcast a long, long, long time ago, and I kind of, I've gone back and dabbled in them mm-hmm. uh, haven't beaten all three of them by any stretch um, and I've also been recommended by you that co-op is the way to go with it because it's fun that way also so, the AI is a bit iffy <laughs> so I'm coming into this coming into Gears of 4 uh, relatively fresh not kind of I don't have franchise fatigue yet um, and you're coming in as a guy relatively deeply experienced in the gears gears of lore gears of lore. Well, there, there you go there you go uh so walk me through kind of your your experienced perspective on this game sure i because i think um gears of wars come up as a, a book club at some point with brian no no oh i don't think we did surprising i could okay. be wrong i could be wrong i'll have a look yeah um so I actually uh, I dropped a an article this morning. It was basically it was a Gears of Four review. Uh, it's up on the website that you can read, and I say at the start, and I, I hadn't really taken time uh, to kind of think about this, but Gears of War actually was kind of a reintroduction to video games for me because I had a couple of years in the mid two thousands where 
I, actually no you might be right we might have done the first one I think you have yeah I remember I, I, I have this memory now of Brian sitting there on the couch and talking about the trailer for yeah. Gears of War 1 <laughs> Um, I had a couple of years in the mid two thousands where I'd kind of f- just fallen off the wagon, and uh, I wasn't really paying too much attention to to video games. Uh, but my girlfriend at the time, she had an Xbox three hundred and sixty. She had a copy of Gears of War. She had Viva Pinata, and she had Sonic two thousand and six, which we don't talk about. Hmm. And uh, she sat me down with it, and I immediately went, "I need an Xbox three hundred and sixty." And so myself and a good friend of mine, uh, Craig Stoughton, good friend back home. Uh, we, you know, for the free games, we would do the co-op, we'd play through them, we had a good old time, we had played a lot of Horde mode on Gears of War 2, and yeah, certainly by the end of the third one... Episode 11. Episode 11. 30, 30 episodes My ago. My word. I, uh, I was feeling the fatigue by the end of Gears of War 3, I will say, I was kind of happy to put that to the side, it was a nice, compact package of those three games... Um, it did everything they wanted to. It had a satisfying conclusion, and uh, yeah, I was happy to pass by Gears of War Judgment, as was quite a few other people as well, by the sounds of it. So, if I was in a position where I had the money, I probably would have bought a Gears uh, a Gears of War. I would have bought an Xbox One Slim and mm-hmm. a copy of Gears of War. That is probably the one game left from Microsoft that you know can kind of bring me back in. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say this for Gears of War 4. I will say this. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It doesn't do anything that hasn't been done before. Like, it is Gears of More. It is Gears of More. Yeah. It's yeah. more than Gears of 4. It's Gears of More. Uh, the Coalition, who were previously Black Tusk Studio, who did the uh, remaster of the original, you know, clearly know what they're working with. Yeah. But they have a good reverence for the original but games. But they definitely don't, by any means, take any risks, you know? Yeah. Um, this I'm... is a game that is, like, fan service to the original trilogy, while also universe building for this new trilogy. Indeed, yes. Yeah. And it certainly And much, much feels... like with Halo 5 it, it's try- and 4, it's trying to serve two masters, and you could argue, because of that, it's not as good as it could have been otherwise. Yeah. Now, I will say this. If they had gone, either continued the adventures of Marcus Phoenix, or if they had made a clean break and made it entirely... Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll go stick with the positives. Yeah. Um, The gameplay has changed up just enough that it does feel different. Um, Enemies... It feels less sluggish. It certainly does. And part of that is because you're not playing as Marcus Phoenix. You know, uh, you're playing as he's slightly um, slender son and uh uh, kate who is a woman and doesn't wear you know as much of the the armor because that just would be impractical so yeah movement is a lot quicker and it needs to be quicker because the ai is a lot more aggressive it's very very up in your face doom levels of aggressive almost yeah now in the i can't remember in gears war 3 but i actually played and completed gears war 2 over the last week as well Mm. and you would get flanked but it was like a kind of gimmick part of, of the game at that point where you would be informed that you were being flanked. Yeah. Here, it just happens. It's just yeah. a seamless part of the action. So We got flooded an awful lot. We got flooded a lot. You know, there was a lot of times where one of us were getting knocked down, would have to come pick the other yeah. one up. That was happening a lot more than it ever happened in the uh, original uh, Gears of War games. I, I also think with the aggression and things like that, I also think it, um, it suits a play style of a co-op pairing like ours certainly yeah. because 
a lot of battle situations benefit from the kind of your you kind of hang back a little and try to pick off guys first before they get to us whereas i am kind of like if there's a sniper or something like that i am running yeah <laughs> headlong into danger with my shotgun up in faces to try and get the sniper so the sniper isn't killing you and you've got my back while I'm on the way. Well, kind of, but the problem with this game, and this is one of... It's it's a negative for me personally, is yeah. that uh, I basically, in playing through Gears of War 2, as soon as I got a long shot, I was good for the rest of the game because I could get ammo from that long shot. Couldn't get it here. Like, yeah. I had a long shot... You, it was very hard to try and camp with a weapon you liked. Yeah. There was a lot of, like, I think... The one weapon that I was reliably getting uh, ammo for for most of the game was the shotgun. Yeah. Apart from that, nothing was reliable. You know, I was I... switching up. Like I had the lancer for a while. Uh -huh. Um, I had that bow for a while. Um, the torque bow. <clears throat> um, I used the long shot a little bit. Um, I used that other kind of long rangey rifle that I can't think of the name what if, of. What it felt like. Ember. Yeah, what it felt like is, other than the lance and the shotgun, any other weapon that you used felt like it was usable for the room that you were in, and then that was it. Yeah, or maybe that particular part of the act. Indeed. Yeah. And that was kind of frustrating, because... Well, it, it, it is and it isn't. Like, it's, it's, it's frustrating if you like to kind of rely on a couple of weapons. I mean, but, for how I play, it was yeah, frustrating. Yeah, but it's interesting in that it does a similar thing, and I, it's the second time I've compared it to this, and this is interesting. I haven't thought about it until we start talking it out like this. But it's also like Doom, where you, Doom doesn't let you stick with one weapon. No. And the way Doom does it is because weapons will not be effective against certain enemies. You need to switch because of that. Um, whereas in this case, it does it through ammo constraint, that it makes you switch it up. Like, I don't think in, in most shooters I will sample the full range of weapons available to me. But in this, I pretty much did. I will say this. The so difference I, is... Like, I, I kind of come down on the side of... I like that it challenged me to come out of my comfort zone the, with the, what I like. The difference is, with Doom, you had all the weapons uh, available to you at any given time. Mm. With Gears, you know, you basically have two main weapons that you can pick from and a, and a handgun. But again, like, you were... All weapons were available to you in Doom, but they wouldn't be effective in concurrent situations. No, like, sometimes yeah. you, you would have an enemy come up to you, like, with the pinkies, you'd definitely want to yeah. use a shotgun. So it's effectively this... It's, it's not, because with large portions towards the end of the game, you were getting the same types of enemies, but in, like, large groups. And mm. then they were all... Well, no. You were getting all the different types of enemies in a large group. So, like, once I was stuck with those two weapons that I wanted to use, I was stuck with all these different kinds of enemies. And if I had a long shot available to me, I could use it for certain enemies and then use the shotgun for certain others. So, and on top of that, the uh, long shot that the uh, the swarm used, the emblem, emblar, ember, ember, uh, was the terrible. One with, the I one where it. you charge and release, you have to hold the target. You have to get it within a specific yeah. time. I yeah. again, this, like is, this is this is all stuff that like it was challenging, and I. There's only a couple of times I got proper frustrated with the game, but it wasn't something I thought was I was frustrated because it's insurmountable. And that was like some of the wave defense stuff we were doing, particularly that one on the elevator. The one on the elevator was a bit of a pain. We were doing that for quite a while. Mm. Um, but like, I, yeah, as my kind of first proper thorough experience uh, of Gears of War, I, I think it looked, it was, it played well. It was fun. It, it looked good, but not Great. I was also just saying this as well. Now, when the original Gears of War came out, it was a proper revelation for me because it was like in the early lifespan of last gem. Yeah, 2006. 2006, yeah. yeah. 
And so we was really seeing... So that was launch, like launch window. Pretty much launch window. So we was really seeing what the Unreal Engine can do and what the next gen of consoles could do. Mm. It's fair to say since then that a lot of games have passed it by in yeah. terms it of is, character animation and models. Yeah, Gear, and, Gears of War 4 is... Uh, the cutscenes look great. Yeah. The, you know, the pre-rendered cutscenes. Um, but the, the, the meat of the game, the actual bits you're playing through, they look good by current gen standards, but not great. You would expect this kind of rendering, this kind of level of graphical fidelity from a third-party game on a console. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas you generally expect that first-party games are where they really eke it out and make it look extra pretty. Like, for all its faults, we brought it up a couple of weeks in a row now, but The Order 1886, is a, it looks like a first-party game. Like, it looks just creepily good. Um, well, to be fair... That's they... all it's got. It's <laughs> yeah. all it's got. But you know what I mean? Like, you expect them to look a bit better. Some of the exclusives on Xbox are the same. I don't think Halo 5 looks outstanding. Now, it could just be down to the fact that because the PS4 is a more powerful machine, it's the one I play on the most, I, in my head, have a higher standard for these things. Um, I don't know. But at the same time, even though it's not first party, it is an exclusive, I think Sunset Overdrive looks fucking magnificent. On Forza Xbox Horizon one. looks incredible. Forza Horizon. There's a couple of games like that. So the machine can make things look really, really nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's. I think the one thing that falls down for me is that I was expecting it to look better. I think those those storms that come in in the game they sometimes look good, but then sometimes when you look at the actual the, the funnel of the twister, it looks very like lackluster there's like the detail of it yeah. it's not great and maybe again that's me spoiled because last year Mad Max if you've ever seen one of the storms in Mad Max fucking hell they look yeah. amazing I will say this in terms of the uh, like the frame rate and the performance it held up you know there, there was yeah. nothing there was a couple of chugs at one point I couple. remember but compared to and so when I was going back playing Gears of War 2 mm. every single checkpoint the screen would just kind of freeze yeah. and then start up again randomly. Yeah. Um, I mean, which was a good indication for, that you knew you was going to about to get into a, a boss fight or a, a battle. Because I think what was happening is the screen would freeze and then the game was suddenly loading every enemy that was going to be in for that particular fight. Mm. So it was a little bit more streamlined in that regards. Uh, the, the big negative for me is that the characters are mostly forgettable. Other than the ones that they reintroduced from the old games, uh, I like that. the guy. I like the the guy with the beard. Yeah, he's but great. he's, he's but not he, in it he, Yeah, he's taken out of the game. Yeah. Um, um, and the plot is kind of just pretty sort of standard stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of. I I think the writing in it it goes on oh, too long. The scripting yeah, is he, so bad. Yeah, well, it what it is is it's not that it's. It's not that it's so bad. It is it's because like, it tries to be funny. Well, and it's well this not. is the thing. No, no, because what it'll be is it will have a funny line. Right? So there'll be a funny line. And then they'll tag that joke up twice or three times more in the dialogue sequence. And what, what could have been a really good one-liner turns into a really terrible back-and-forth quipfest. Mm -hmm. um, the only exception to that is I think most of Marcus Phoenix's lines are incredible. Yeah. But on top of that as well... Because <laughs> he comes out and he's real kind of like Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon, I'm sick of this shit. Kinda. Yeah. But the thing is as well, right, so in the uh, original games, like... Marcus and Dom kind of kept the sort of the seriousness and the gravitas of the situation at hand. The gravelly beefiness. Yeah. While Cole was just the Cole train. The lunatic who was just yeah. shouting off anything and then Baird. The lunatic fringe. Yeah. And Baird was the <laughs> sarky, kind of snappy, quickie one quippy one liner kind of guy. Yeah. Here, all of them are trying to do 
all of those things and fail to do any of them yeah, yeah. at all. I don't like. I don't actively hate any of them, but I don't. Love oh, them. I I hated JD and your other guy whose name I can't even remember. Um, Del was it? Yeah, Del. Yeah. yeah, both of them have no interesting. Talk to me very, very briefly, because I know we went on there for a while about Gears of War. Talk to me very briefly. I'm trying to stay as as clean and uh, away from it as possible, but the Pokemon Sun demo, to change tack a little bit. Okay, yep. Available on 3DS store now. Yeah, the demo for that dropped this morning here in Europe. Uh, It's about 30 minutes long. Europe. Europe. Uh, yeah, it's about 30 minutes long. I hear there's an exclusive Greninja. There is. There is an Ash Greninja that is available to you at the start. So it kind of quickly introduces you to, um, A, how it looks now, the new kind of graphical style. Mm. Um, it's which, made a, which, what, what do you think of that? It looks nice. Yeah. It's made a big step up from X and Y. I mean, it, it keeps... Wow. It, it keeps what you remember from X and Y, but like the character models, they're a little bit longer now. They look basically like human people at this point. Uh, no, actually, they did an X and Y thinking about it. Not, not like kind of chibi people. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. But what they've done now is uh, instead of that kind of top-down looking forward view, uh, yeah. a lot of the camera the, angles... The 2.5D kind of yeah, way it was. The angle's kind of isometric now. All right. And it works for the most part. I think the camera's in a little bit too close. I'd like it if it was zoomed out a little bit. Yeah. What I'd really like is if you actually had some control over the camera angle, but it's still very much fixed. But it does kind of move around you when you move around corners and stuff. So it's it's really weird. It's the first Pokemon game that has completely changed the camera angle. So it does feel different in that regards. Uh, the general presentation, like... The, the battle screen um, is pretty much the same for the most part, but they've moved it around to, again, streamline a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It does have uh, information icons on top of each move, so you don't have to go into the menus. You can just tap on there on the, on the battle tells screen. what the move does. Yep. Because it's fucking hard to keep track sometimes. Indeed, which is pretty handy. Um, and it also gives you a trial as well. It gives you an introduction into... Oh, the new the version new of the version gym of system. Gyms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with this, what you have to do is um, there are a couple of Pokemon that you need to go around and you need to t- take pictures of. And Yay, I'm, Pokemon Snap. I'm hoping this is just the first trial that you do because it felt very lackluster. Well, this, the the my understanding is that the trials are going to be different every time. Much like in the gyms in the newer Pokemon games, the, uh, the puzzles to get you to the gym leader are always different. Well, all I will say... Is that I'm not saying that with 100% confidence. No, I don't no, know no. anything you don't. Like, no, but, but what, all I'm going to say is that you would go up... The, the camera would zoom over to where you needed to go to find the Pokemon. You would go there, and then the Pokemon would just be standing there. And you can't really... You, you can move the camera left and right, but you can't zoom in. You can't really do anything. Is, do you use the gyroscope to You move can it? use the gyroscope if you want, but you can just use the, the stick as well. Good. But it feels very... Um, it just feels not particularly well thought out. It just feels like it's just been latched on as a gimmick. Yeah, I get you. So I wasn't particularly thrilled with that. Um, I do like that uh, Team Skull are basically um, kind of styling themselves off of kind of gangster Rastafarians because you two guys kind of throwing hand signals all over the place. Gangstafarians. Gangstafarians. And um, what was the other thing? of note there was one other thing oh yeah uh hms and uh, or hms uh, aren't a thing anymore oh they've been completely removed so there's no like bush you have to cut or anything like that no it all has that but what happens now instead is that you basically call a pokemon to you in this instance rock smash uh you jump on the back of a tauros and you just smash through it 
Even if you don't have a Taurus. No, even if you don't have a Taurus. That's interesting. And I've been reading up about it as well. When you fly it, you'll call a Charizard. I don't know if it's a Lapras. I presume it would be a Lapras. I'd love it if it was a Lapras. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's... So you, I, I think... I don't know if you get them all at the start or you kind of pick them up as you go along. Um, it'll be... Yeah, because if, if not, it'll be interesting to see how... Because um, that HM thing is basically the way they've sectioned off parts of the map that you shouldn't be that's able how to they've to always yet. done it so yeah. i presume it'll be yeah you pick them up as you go along but yeah. basically what it means is maybe you... it's that when you beat a trial maybe you get could be yeah and they've just given you them in the demo to show you or given one of you in the demo you only get the one yeah. Yeah. yeah but what it basically means is you don't have to have a hm sleeve now throughout the duration of the the main campaign which is good because is I, it's it always been annoying to me having to give a pokemon i really like that i'm going to have on me at all times yeah at hm Particularly, thankfully, it was gone very quickly from the series, but having to give one of them flash. Yeah, yeah. Um, considering off. we have Fuck over, off. like, 800 of these fuckers now, yeah. I want to have that extra slot free to, yeah. to you know, have uh, have more of a team, complete but, team. But, yeah, looking forward to us out in November. I mean, you know, it's a Pokemon game. They've certainly made some tweaks. The Mega Evolution from X and Y, that's gone. Um, you have just the, well, it's the the Alola now will be the new one when you get to it. That and you have the Z moves. I don't know if yeah. every Pokemon has their own special Z move, but um, you know, it's basically it. The game turns into fucking Power Rangers for a second because you know, cool. you <laughs> you do a little wacky little dance, and then Pikachu does this kind of massive electric thunderbolt of death. Hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, it's it's more Pokemon. But it's it looks yeah. nice, and it has uh, very much that kind of Hawaiian um, vibe vibe of it. Certainly yeah. in the the tone and the sound. Cool. Let's talk about the news. The news. News on the mark. Not much going on this week, Mark. <laughs> Not much in the news. Just Rockstar destroying everyone's world. And as, you know, has been pointed out before, when everyone goes, why do Rockstar never do anything at E3 yeah, or any of these this games? this is why. Because they don't fucking need to. Because at the start of this week, they, all they did, the, the simplest thing in the world, they changed the colour of their logo on social media to being black with a blood red background. And everyone was like, it's red dead, it's red dead, it's red dead. <laughs> everyone freaked out, us included. Mm-hmm. The second day, this is the this is fucking genius. Like the second day, they posted like a silhouette with like a a kind of like a a blood covered sunrise, and seven figures in all in kind of old western gear pimping towards the screen. That was it. Just that static image, and then yesterday, as we were recording this, uh, or yesterday from time of recording, uh, all of a sudden. Red Dead Redemption 2, coming fall 2017. And the day this podcast launches will be the same day as the trailer. So we yep. won't get to see the trailer before we record. Uh, but we will be talking about it next week, I'm sure. Um, fuck, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go from what is on the uh, MCV, um, what they've reported on this. So the game is due autumn 2017, being confirmed for PS4 and Xbox One. There has not been any word on a PC release yet. Yeah, but... <clears throat> this was the same with GTA 5 yes. it wasn't announced for PC first it came out on the, what were at the time current gen consoles and then the PC port yeah. came nearly a year later I Indeed. think also confirmed is that the game will offer an online multiplayer spin-off yeah. presumably in the same way that GTA 5 forms the basis for Grand Theft Auto Online and yeah first trailer will be released this Thursday October the 20th 
excited. I am. I'm. What I'm excited for is so I I dabbled with the GTA Five online, but didn't really stick around with it. It's um, great. It's it's great. The problem is that it's not as great if you don't have mates that are playing it. Well, the problem as well is everyone moved on to the PlayStation Four version, which yeah. I never got. I was away, so yeah. you know, by the time it came along, I kind of fell out of it, and I had, I wasn't going to buy GTA Five again to play through the campaign and do online again. So, um. You know, this is a good time. You know, we'll have the the main campaign for Red Dead, and then we can jump into the online. Mm. Also, hopefully, when they release the online version of Red Dead, or if it's alongside it, it hopefully won't be on fire when it launches this time. Well, they already now have the Rockstar Social Club set up. This is the thing, and it does have functionality to add your account from other games. Red Dead Redemption, you can add your account details from that. Not even just that; just yeah. the actual playability of yeah. the the online mode yeah because um, yeah. obviously when gta 5 came out the the online portion it was the of first it, time they'd done anything it was like a that. bit it of was, a garbage i think it was fire. two weeks it was fucked for yes but the people who tried to access it within the first two weeks ended up getting like really big bonuses then when it was actually yeah, which working. kind of like is when i dropped straight out because i was like well i already feel whatever yeah so yeah i mean it's red dead 2 i'm kind of people are throwing a shit fit about the pc thing and uh, people are also like people are disappointed about uh, the title in some ways and I think like the way I think about that like look it doesn't matter too much I personally would have liked if it was called something like Red Dead Retribution it's weird that a game gets a two after when the name of that game in itself was a sequel because people tend to forget about Red Dead Revolver Mm -hmm. and then Red Dead Redemption so it's weird that it goes that the third game technically in the series is too yeah. you know it's it's just weird like that so red dead retribution or something like that would have been my personal choice i'm not too fussed about it really though. i mean let's uh, be honest they could fucking call it red dead rockstar for all like yeah care. and then the other thing people are um people are talking about but obviously there's no substantial detail we'll know by thursday is uh that there are certain people that kind of in the vein of the, that kind of the camp that we were talking about with barry about last of us there are certain people that when they heard, because it's been long rumoured that it's technically a prequel, which makes it even weirder if it's called 2, if it's actually a pre- uh, set before the events of Red Indeed, Dead. Indeed, yeah. Um, that it follows John Marston and his gang uh, before the events of Red Dead Redemption. And people, uh, th- there are a certain subsection of people that don't want any more John Marston because they think that story from Red Dead Redemption is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's self-contained. Yep. We don't need any more. Yep. Move on. Well, that's kind of the the two camps of people that are disappointed, really. I'm not going to think about it. The game's not for a year. Yeah, if it hits that deadline. Look, this is what happens. Something comes out, there's a bunch of hyperbole bullshit. Yeah. I stand back and say, shut the fuck up, wait till we know more about it, wait till the game actually comes out and plays it. Yeah. At the very least, wait till the trailer. Like, don't presume you know what the story is about before there's a story-based trailer. And that as well. Um, United Front Games, speaking of open world games, United Front Games, these are the people behind uh, Sleeping Dogs, which is a game that Mark very much enjoys. Not so much the PS4 version, but the PS3 version, or the X- it was the Xbox 360 version. It was the 360 version, yeah. Um, has closed its doors, it's it's shut down, it is no more, it has run up the curtain to join the choir invisible. It Indeed. is an ex-studio. Indeed. Uh, United Front Games has seemingly shut its doors and... Uh, its early access title has been removed from Steam. This comes from MCV. There has been no official confirmation of the studio's closure. However, multiple developers have tweeted that they have lost their jobs and United Front's current Steam early access title, Smash and Grab, is no longer available to purchase. The news first leaked on NeoGAF. However, GameSpot has since been able to confirm with a source that the studio has indeed closed. 
Yeah, so... They we... also were one of the studios that contributed to the Master Chief Collection. Yeah, Halo. so we uh, we spoke uh, not too long ago about their new game, Smash and Grab, which mm. I was kind of... Lukewarm on. Not that interested in. Yeah. And not many other people were as well. And so last week, they announced that Smash and Grab would be uh, free. Had a free weekend on Steam to try and kind of, you know, gather, gather some interest. And then, yeah, this has come along. Um... Now, a lot of people had been banging on for a, a, a Sleeping Dogs sequel, and I think we were both in agreement that if that was going to happen... It would have already happened. It would have already happened by yeah. now. Um, yeah, just a shame. I mean, you know, these things happen. I'm, I'm sure the people there that worked on it will find uh, new positions. You know, there's yeah. always stuff going Sleeping on. Sleeping Dogs, your, the original version, not the, the, the PS4 version, definitely showed that... Uh, these people are talented and will will hopefully find work out. Yeah, and to be fair, like because Sleeping Dogs was between GTA Four and GTA Five, yeah. and was uh, a step up from GTA Four, and then obviously Rockstar came along and, mm. and kind of really showed what they could do. But you know, it was definitely a good stopgap between those two games. It fill it scratched the itch. Definitely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, FIFA. Uh, it's it's hardly a week goes by without me getting. To I know, right? Shoe in a FIFA reference here. Um, FIFA has added a big patch this week, nearly a gig, I think it was 700 odd megabytes. Uh, and basically it's added a couple of cool cosmetics, I was showing Mark earlier on, uh, the main thing it's done cosmetically is, well one, it's added some pictures for players that weren't in the game before, so if the game didn't have on file a picture of your player when you're previewing your team, it just had kind of like a blank silhouette. Um, and now it's added a bunch more. The one, the only reason I was able to notice that is because in my career mode, I have Gabriel Barbosa from Inter Milan, who was a blank silhouette before the update, and now there's a big picture of a smiley face there. Uh, so that's nice. And it also added the official Premier League graphics for Premier League fixtures, which makes the kind of the match day presentation and the match day feel that I talk so much about with FIFA just that bit nicer because I think loads of those Premier League graphics are really kind of minimalist and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, we I, I showed you a brief cutscene. Yeah, you're, you're enjoying that, the way mm-hmm. that looks. Uh-huh. Uh, one, it, a couple of the other things, it does things to game balancing that I really, really appreciate. Um, the first thing is that it fixes attack patterns in the AI and what I mean by that is AI on the game had a tendency at higher difficulties to push attacks out wide predominantly and not attack through the centre. Which is interesting because I would think uh, most players, if they play like me, I tend to play my team quite wide, would find it easier to defend out wide than they would in the centre. So now this new thing has fixed attack patterns so that uh, the AI will try and attack direct through the centre more, which is kind of can sometimes get a bit difficult uh, for me and for others. And the other thing it fixes is what I call the star benching bug, which was sometimes in career mode. There was some bug that was making the AI uh, not start with some of their star players. They would be on the bench. Okay. And I have no idea why that was happening. I noticed that in FIFA 16 as well, but they never fixed that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've, they've fixed it now uh, in in uh, in this. The time I noticed in FIFA 16 was hilarious because they had uh, Joe Hart still at the club at Manchester City. And I played against them twice in the season where Raheem Sterling was in goals. Okay. Which was strange to say the least mm-hmm. um and he wasn't injured because i went and checked 
to see if Joe Hart was injured or something. And nope, nope, he was just on the bench. Hey, look, there's a lot of statistical information going on there. There's a lot under the hood going on with those FIFA games. But yeah, nice to see that they're like tidying things up, making things look prettier and uh, definitely committed to making sure the game is a solid experience throughout. So like that. Uh, Batman Return to Arkham has dropped this week, uh, Tuesday in the United States, Friday in Europe. Uh, which is the collection of Arkham Asylum and Arkham City with all their DLC bundled up into one package. The reviews are kind of uniformly the same from everything I've read, which is it's basically the same. The only difference is they've turned the lights on. They've turned the brightness up a bit. They haven't like really polished it so much that you can say, well, this is night and day from PS3 to PS4. Who's behind this? Xbox 360 to Xbox One. Um, so my, my kind of advice on that game, it is a 50 euro game. So it's not a full price game. That is one thing. Uh, my thing would be if you have your Xbox 360 or your PS3 or your PC and you already have the original versions of these two games, don't even consider buying Return to Arkham. Okay? Yeah. If you have never played either of these games, this is probably a deal and a half for you. Indeed. Because Arkham Asylum is, I think, universally agreed upon at this point to be one of the best games of last generation. Mm-hmm. Arkham City, a lot of people think, not us... But a lot of people think is better. I'm more fond of it than you are, obviously, Mark. Mm-hmm. You've aired your grievances with that game <laughs> several times on here. I'm more fond of it than you are, but I still prefer the first to the second. Absolutely. Um. So for for people who yeah have never played either of the games before, this is a hell of a deal for you because it seems performance wise it's fine. No one's really said anything about it being like a garbagey mess like uh, Arkham Knight was on PC or anything like that. Um, and then the other group of people that would be tempted by it, and I kind of sort of half fall under this, is that if you don't have the capability to go back and play, like, I don't have my PS3 anymore, I got rid of my PS3 and the vast majority of my games when I went up a generation, so I have no way to go back, so if at some point it drops a little in price, or I'm feeling a little bit, uh, if there's a kind of a drought, there's no games I'm playing at the moment. I don't think that's going to be for a while. No, not for a while. But like say in January when the January sales are yeah, in, like yeah. I might be tempted to pick this one up because it'll probably drop to about 30 quid by then. This is the thing. Because I... Arkham Asylum, like I I haven't played that since maybe the second time I beat it. So we're well, talking years and years. I yeah, haven't played well, that game. Yeah, what I'm going to say is um, between the lack of buzz for this and the fact that we've got... Dave fucked it yeah like because it was coming out and then they removed it didn't say when it was coming out and really without any fanfare at all said oh it's coming back out because we've just had gears yeah we've got battlefield one we have um call of duty yeah uh you know we've just had fifa yeah it's kind of it's it's a shame that this is the way we're saying goodbye to the arkham franchise because it seems like everything rocksteady have said when interviewed about it since arkham knight came out is no this is the last batman game which it should be yeah and oh yeah they definitely shouldn't go back to the well they definitely shouldn't palm it off to another studio that won't do as well because let's all remember arkham origins for a second Mm -hmm. um they should move on to something else whether it's the rumored justice league or superman game whatever just stay away they've they've done batman now they're unlikely to ever do any better the longer they stay around the franchise the more it'll get burnt out yeah so 
it's kind of an ignominious end. It's 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 not great to see like just the the remasters sh- kind of shoved out there without much fanfare. But you know what can you do? It's it's busy season. If they were going to come out with a remaster during busy season, they probably knew what they were going to get. There's no way was it going to get the same level of hype and coverage uh, that some of the new games are going to get. Yeah, it's just it's just really weird timing. You know. Yeah. This would have benefited from either coming out in the middle of the summer like it was originally supposed to or coming out at the start of next year. I mean, let's be honest, it's just, it's now a, a long, in the long line of disasters that Warner Bros. has done with yeah. this game. All I want is my Shadows of Mordor 2 from them. It's all I want. It's all I want. I think they're supposed to be, did I, did I hear they're working on another Mad Max game? Uh, I, I remember hearing I'm way like, out of the loop with anything when yeah, it comes to Mad I thought Max. I remember, I thought I remember he- hearing that they were thinking about it because it wasn't a critical success, but like a lot of people bought it. Yeah, I mean, but I would imagine a lot of that was to do with the film. Yeah. So, what can you do? Uh, so we have another cameo in the new Call of Duty game, Infinite Warfare, and this what one's a weird f- one. So we've already what is going on we've, here. We've already got um, Conor McGregor and uh, Kit Harrington who yeah, plays yeah. Jon Snow in Game of Thrones yeah, uh, making appearances uh, in part is Jon Snow the villain is he? yes yeah. I believe so um, so yeah this this is an odd one uh, says Eurogamer from the start Lewis Hamilton eminent snapchatter and reigning Formula 1 world champion is making an appearance in this year's Call of Duty think about the order that they've put those in yeah, as well that's good stuff uh, that is good writing. It's good. I, I, I like that. It's not the first superstar cameo in Call of Duty, of course. He follows the footsteps of the likes of Kevin Spacey, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Kiefer Sutherland. Which one was Sarah in, by the way? Because I do not I don't know that. This is not... You're you're not talking to the Call of Duty. Well, no, because like, we all know that Kevin Spacey was in one. That yeah, was yeah. kind of prominent. But yeah. I don't remember the one with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, French TV station M6 broke the news, which was in turn reported by ESPN, who revealed some of Hamilton's lines. Uh, yeah, this is a weird one. Especially because, like, Formula 1, to me, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just because, like, in the part of the world we're in, it's, like, football, every other sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, like, it's a not an obscure sport, but it's, like, B-tier sport to be getting someone from... You say that, but Lewis no, it's, Hamilton oh, it's, is... Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, know. like, people know who he is, like, yeah. you know. He's also from my neck of the woods, which, yeah. you know, explains just how much of a scumbag I am. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, do you know what I mean? If you, if this story was like Messi or Ronaldo well, is yeah. in Call of Duty or D-Beck or even like Conor McGregor, not surprising mm-hmm. because like UFC is the fastest growing sport in the world. Yeah. And that's kind of like, it's just strange to me. Well, what it is, Hamilton Hopefully is... he does a better, I haven't listened to any of his dialogue, uh, but hopefully to god he is better than harry kane and fifa 17's the journey because fucking probably hell. not this is the thing with, with the thing with lewis hamilton because you've at least got one person in every sport that kind of transcends the sport mm. i don't imagine gaa fits my description there but other than that or you know um uh, javelin shall we say you know i don't yeah. think there's anyone that trans- transcends the sport there but Lewis Hamilton does, you yeah. know. He... He's one of those names, like, there, there are people, like, I don't follow F1 at all, but no. I could name off a bunch of, like, uh, Michael Schumacher, yeah. uh, you know, people like that. Like, I don't follow basketball, but I know who fucking Michael Jordan is, yeah. things like that, Kobe but, Bryant. But, like, between um, Jack. how successful <laughs> he's been, you know, his relationship with Nicole Swartzenshain. The Pussycat Doll Lady. The Pussycat Doll Lady, yep. You know, and he's sort of celebrity superstar status. Scherzinger. Scherzinger, that's the one. I was going to say Schwarzenegger, but well, whatever. <laughs> 
you know, he's a name that you can kind of attach to this. But yeah. as far as I'm aware, from every kind of conversation I've ever heard from it, it's kind of like putting David Beckham in something like this. You know, he has the name, but he's not made for any kind of public speaking role. Yeah. Also, like it's kind of overkill. They've already got the guy from the most popular TV show in the world. <laughs> you kind of got around And that. the most well-known mixed martial artist yeah. in the world. The guy who might be doing two million buys at Madison Square Garden this year. And on top of that, you have the remastered edition of the most successful and famous uh, online multiplayer shooter, shooter of the last generation. Yeah, it's like, maybe save him for next year or something like that. Yeah, I think I might say, potentially, they are overcompensating for something. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have speculated for a yeah. There's a lot of people who have speculated for quite a while that Infinite Warfare is gash, and they're terrified, <laughs> especially because in another news story, the competition is heating up. Yeah, uh, all right. But uh, yeah, that they might be a little bit worried about the quality of the actual game. That they're just sticking on all the bells and whistles to make sure that it sells mm-hmm. like fuck. Speaking of first-person shooters that are out in November, or actually no, this one's out this tomorrow. I'm out of the loop at the moment. Yeah, this one's out tomorrow, and I'm 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 actually from everything I've seen and read this week because the uh, the embargoes have lifted, and we know what the game is like now. Battlefield One is apparently super good. Now, when it comes to first person shooters, mm-hmm. I'm a campaign man first, and really blast as well. Yeah, I'm reading it's a good campaign. Uh huh. Not a good campaign. A really a good really campaign. campaign. Uh, one of the first things that I wanted to hit on, and I talked to Brian about this as well, because Brian's not only uh, an FPS campaign fan like us, but he's also specifically a Battlefield fan. Mm-hmm. Um, is this idea that one of the things that has always been ridiculous to me in first-person shooters is how, when they're tied into real conflicts that happened, or even fake conflicts, how it follows this bizarre narrative of someone who managed to be in all the most important battles in a war, you know, dotted around the globe. Like, how did someone manage to be on all the battlefronts in the Western Front in the Second World War in half of those, like, Medal of Honor games and the old games like that, you know what I mean? But apparently the way they've structured the narrative in this is what are being called war stories, where they'll follow say one person one british soldier or a group of british soldiers in the trenches somewhere for i think that one's a five-part series it will go to the desert then and follow somebody for another few parts so rather than have the unrealistic thing of jumping around different battlefields all across the world with the same person which is just not happening Mm -hmm. um it is telling yeah war stories and apparently the narratives are good they actually have some emotion to them some depth and then of course the one thing that's never really been in doubt is that Battlefield Combat is, is fi- like, it's just, it's solid. Do you know? That's why they basically reskinned it with Star Wars stuff and put it out as Battlefront, is because they know that combat system yeah. works and people enjoy it. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, um, um, I'm really, like, starting to teeter over the fence into buying this <laughs> when it comes out. Uh, like, if I finish Mafia and can trade in games and get this for, like, either cheap or free. Uh, yeah, I might be picking up Battlefield. Well, I was going to say, we finished Gears. Um, yeah. You finished Mafia, yeah. Yeah, because like, it's, it's either that or like I, I'd... like I. The only two things that I would buy with traded in games at this point would be either Battlefield 1 or just to play Modern Warfare mm. campaign. So, 
it'd be one or the other but battlefield seems to be good getting a lot of nines 9.5s that kind of thing like doing really well which is weird um like it's broken the curse because battlefield was kind of had lost its way for a while battlefield 4 apparently to this day is still in fucking pieces on consoles oh really yeah uh, Brian was telling me that the other day and uh, Battlefield Hardline was a, an earnest-ish attempt to do something completely different that just utterly missed the target Um, and like you know Admiral that they tried but uh, now Battlefield 1 which is also trying something different like instead of going far into the distant future with the shooty shooty bang bang in space like Call of Duty is it's going dialing the clock back yeah, and it seems to have come off well and as some people are also kind of in think pieces talking about maybe it's opened up the possibility of yeah maybe there is something to World War 1 games and we can kind of take the clock back a little because I'd like a nice balance in my shooters that come out in a year between stuff that's like a nice modern shooter and stuff that goes back historical shooters I always loved a historical shooter well, this thing, we, it's interesting because we've, we've kind of kind of kind of come full circle because yeah. we had World War 2 World War 2 World War 2 and yeah. then Modern I used War- to like I used to like Medal of Honor yeah, games a lot yeah. yeah but then Modern Warfare came along it was like oh look we have warfare that's set in kind yeah. of you know contemporary times and, and, and then we went well now uh, Call of Duty going as far forward there's the definitely a subset of people who are like like Brian is crazy into his like weaponology and stuff like that like I'm not even though I have to, like a degree in military history you think I might <laughs> but um, like I never really care oh that's an authentic like mm. blank blah blah, blah 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 rifle you know this is an this is an authentic kalashnikov this is blah blah never been massive about it but there definitely is a subset of people who are well into that shit who like aren't being served by a futuristic shooter because it's met weapons that don't fucking exist yet you know everyone's using moonraker lasers now <laughs> but uh yeah um I'm, I'm happy that we have kind of like i'm happy with the the pro evo and fifa being a bit competitive now I'm happy that Battlefield, if Battlefield is back on track, it means, you know, maybe Call of Duty takes things a bit more seriously. <laughs> I'm just wondering at what point do we... Uh... I still think it will massively outsell Battlefield. Probably. But it gives them something to think about. I'm curious at what point we get a game set in the late 19th century and we're all running around with muskets. <laughs> Won't be far off. Yeah. Dan Harmon is making a, a show about esports. Are you familiar with the work of young Dan Harmon? I know it's around Rick and Morty, which I've still yeah. not watched So yet. Dan Harmon is a creator of Rick and Morty, or more importantly, so close to my heart, the creator of Community. Oh, right, yeah, okay. He is one of, I think, the greatest comedy writers at kind of tapping into kind of... It's like, it's referential humor, it's meta humor, but without being too, like, we're stealing jokes from everything else. You know the way, like, you know the way things like Family Guy often do, like, non sequiturs to pop culture things. Like, if we mention someone obscure from the 70s or 80s, like Robert Lozier, we're going to get a laugh. It's not that, like, community is one of the best with the exception of the season that he was not on when he fell out with with uh the the production it is one of the best written shows uh in terms of comedy that i have watched bar the likes of maybe the rest development and a couple of others um it's it's really really good and 
uh, Rick and Morty I'm still getting into I was I was late to the party on Rick and Morty but I really like Rick and Morty as well this is a guy who gets nerd culture mm-hmm. that is where I'm going with this yeah, he, yeah. he understands everything about nerd culture this is a guy who hosts a podcast or co-hosts a podcast called Harmontown where a substantial part of the back half of most of his podcasts involve him playing Dungeons and Dragons on stage so it's safe to say this is a guy who is a nerd Indeed. <laughs> you know what I mean so he is doing a show about esports for which I imagine the the kind of the depths of parody you can get into with esports is considerable. Um, but I'm going to read this anyway. This is from Eurogamer Community and Rick and Morty co-creator Dan Harmon is making a new show about a group of esports players as reported by Variety. Harmon's as of yet untitled program will be a six half hour scripted series on YouTube Red which is the premium service on YouTube. Mm-hmm. The show will follow a group of five competitive esports players rising through the ranks. The show will star Dan Avedon and Aaron Hansen from YouTube's Let's Play series hey, Game now. Grumps. Yeah. Hey, Raptor. How yeah. about that? And the show will premiere on the Game Grumps channel. It will co-star eStream host Michelle Morrow and popular YouTube personality Jesse Cox, who announced the upcoming show in the video below. Showrunners include Erica Rosby and Sarah Carboner, both worked on Rick and Morty and Just Add Magic. This is going to be a very true look at the esports industry. Um, your thoughts on this, Mark, if you have any? Pretty, I mean, at some point we was going to get something like this around esports. As it grows, as it becomes more popular, hmm. there's uh, there's untapped potential for stuff like this. And you know, if someone is going to do some kind of, kind of a documentary around this kind of thing. Uh, it sounds like from everything you've told me, Dan Harmon is certainly someone who not only can film this, but... You this know, is not um, an outsider coming in and taking pot shots. No. This is a guy who is going to take precise aim at the things he knows are silly about esports because he knows. Yeah. And, uh, and Aaron Hansen is, is a pretty funny guy, but he's also very, very uh, talented. Mm. Uh, he's very good in, in like production and animation. Uh, and he also knows the industry, you know. Um, he's he's been around it for a long time now, and uh, I enjoy Game Grumps. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested in watching this definitely. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, finally, <laughs> Football Manager twenty seventeen, which uh, will be coming out relatively soon, is known as the most authentic simulation of football that there is. Mm-hmm. This year's Football Manager. Simulate something quite interesting. Brexit. <laughs> this is from Eurogamer. Brexit is in Football Manager 17. Developer Sports Interactive has built a Brexit simulator in this year's game that models the consequences of the UK leaving Europe, Miles Jacobson told the Daily Telegraph. Because it's currently unclear how Brexit will go, Sports Interactive has included every possible outcome in Football Manager 17, so each game is different. Perhaps it was all par- part of the plan, eh, Boris? Here's how it works. At some point in the game, between two and ten years in, the player is told that trade negotiations have begun. A year later, there's a news bulletin that details the extent of Brexit with three main scenarios. Soft exit, footballers are granted the same special uh, exemption that are currently given to entertainers, and hard Brexit. Obviously, hard Brexit makes Football Manager 17 harder because it has implications on who would be eligible for a move into the Premier League. If we already had these rules in place, players such as N'Golo Kante and Dimitri Payet would not have been able to gain work permits to move to the Premier League, Jacobson said. That's two of the last season's best three, uh, three best players. 
There's also the possibility of limiting the number of non-UK players British clubs are allowed from anything as high as 17 to as low as 4. If you only had four non-UK players per squad, that's going to make things difficult, Jacobson said, explaining the potential impact on the game. All of a sudden, championship quality players are moving to the Premier League to fill up the slots. That could mean overall quality drops, and that means TV money goes down. Meanwhile, transfer fees go up. Foreign players are worth more to British clubs because you need to make sure you can uh, make the most of those four slots. And the British players become more valuable and so more expensive too. Footballers could decide against playing for their home nation because doing so could reduce their chances of ever making it to the Premier League. Newer nations such as Kosovo could suffer with players holding out to become naturalised and play for a higher ranked country. There is even the outside chance that non-UK players could end up having to apply for work permits to remain in the UK the day after Brexit. It's a tiny chance but it could happen in your game. Jacobson tweeted a screenshot of Football Manager 17 to show how the Brexit could impact the game. The image shows a news alert that tells a player that footballers coming in from the European Union need to apply for work permits to play in Great Britain. I can't escape the nightmare, can I? <laughs> you really can't. It's fucking incredible. Football Manager is like a ridiculous... The levels... Like we talked about earlier on about how FIFA has a lot going on under the hood. This game is unbelievable. Do you know what, unbelievable? Do you know what the, the amount most that's going amazing on? Amazing thing about this is everything. Sports Interactive, the the dev team behind Football Manager, have a better plan for Brexit than the actual fucking Leave campaign. Yeah, by having an actual plan. Yeah. yeah, by having an actual kind of projection as to how it would go. Absolutely fucking astounding. <laughs> Uh, I, I like a bit of Football Manager. I usually pick up Football Manager right before I go home for Christmas so that I have something to play for the three days on my laptop. Yeah, like I always get it. I, I get the uh, tablet or the uh, phone version because it's a little bit more streamlined. Yeah. Um, because see, now that I have the home PC, I can play it from like on the big screen. Yeah, but I, cool. I prefer the slightly more streamlined version. I see. Um, I want it to be as in-depth as possible. Like no. I, always, I always turn depth up to high and stuff no. like that. So my... My laptop has a mare trying to play it sometimes. After about two weeks, I just think, fuck this. I like to keep it a little um, more simple. One of the great things that you should look up if you haven't already, and I'm saying this to you, Mark, as well as the people listening at home, or on the bus, or wherever you're listening to, look up the article from, I think, last year. I might have mentioned it when I was on the show with Brian when you were in China. There was a man who simmed 1,000 years of Football Manager. I have seen it, and I have read it. Which included the great the, the guts of a century where Derby County reigned supreme in England. Yeah. It's good times. It's a really good article. Like, just to show how unbelievable that simulation is. Which is scary, because I downloaded the, the, the most current... FIFA uh, football management game about six months ago yeah. and in the span of a couple of months I did about 15 years of worth of seasons so I mean that a thousand years is a lot of football management yeah maybe yeah. well no maybe. Like, well no he like he didn't play it himself he set the end date and just let it run on his PC uh, okay he didn't actually play it himself right he just wanted to see what would happen because you can use the skip calendar feature if you're oh, not in, course, if you're not in a yeah, job yeah, yeah. so I think he like quit his job and then simmed a thousand years forward uh, which is just <laughs> I mean sure someone has to do it yeah incredible so that wraps up the news for this week on the show and we're going to go now straight to the link to cast book club our feature every week where we talk about an important game that you should play and we're still in shocktober where we are playing uh, famous or well-known or important or pivotal horror games and this week is no exception as we are playing eternal darkness sanity's requiem
Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem is a horror action-adventure video game developed by Silicon Knights and published by Nintendo for the GameCube. The game was originally planned for the Nintendo 64. The game's setting is centred on a mansion in Rhode Island, the home of protagonist Alexandra Roivas' grandfather and a book that Alexandra finds there. It utilises a third-person view in which the player must navigate a number of locations as well as 12 characters uh, spanning different time periods as well as sanity effects to enhance the gameplay. Though not a commercial success, Eternal Darkness was widely praised, winning numerous awards. While a direct follow-up was cancelled by the copyright holder Nintendo and Silicon Knights bankrupted and disbanded, the game's writer and director, who follows me on Twitter weirdly, Dennis Dyack, has been attempting to make a spiritual successor entitled Shadow of the Eternals. Just a brief bit about the plot of the game. So the plot in Eternal Darkness is divided between four principal locations. The game skips back and forth through time when the player begins or ends each chapter. The locations include the Forbidden City in Persia, a Cambodian temple in Angkor Thom, the Oublier Cathedral in Amiens, France, and the Royvis family mansion with the ruined city of Inga in Rhode Island, United States. When you think horror games, you don't necessarily think that happy purple box, the GameCube. But between last week talking about Resident Evil 4 and this week talking about Eternal Darkness. They've got two of the best. They've got two of the best. It's very, very strange. Um, Where to start dissecting a game like i think a word we're going to come back to a lot when we're talking about this is complexity mm-hmm. um kind of on a layer I, I i think we're finding a theme here is that some of the best horror games or horror experiences in video games are ones that are layered and complex silent hill 2 is very much that with the the layers upon layers of narrative and visual representations and metaphors that are going on here and this, between the layering of the narratives and some of the mechanics in it, are similar. Um, I picked up this game not really knowing anything about it, only that Nintendo Official Magazine, which I was still picking up in 2002 on the regular, was raving about this game. And I was, at this point, I would have been hot off the presses with, uh, I would have, within the last six months to a year, I think, would have played Silent Hill 2. So I was, I was well tuned into horror at that point. I said, let's pick up this game, even though it's for the GameCube, um, which I, I think I had kind of been like, this is my fun Nintendo machine. It's not my serious game machine. And here we yeah. go. <laughs> here we go. Um, one of the things that kind of fascinates me about Eternal Darkness is one that Nintendo would get so behind a game this out of the wheelhouse of Nintendo. And Nintendo has kind of done this a little bit throughout the years. Bayonetta 2 is a, is another priceless example about Nintendo really financially and in terms of promotion getting behind a game that you would not necessarily uh, associate with Nintendo. And the other thing that fascinates me as well is that I think there are a lot of things in this game that should have had a real enduring legacy on the entire genre and didn't. Mm-hmm. Which blows my mind. Um, to hand over to you for a second, Mark, what, what's your kind of history of interaction with, with Eternal Darkness? Was this something you played at the time? Was this something you came back to later? No, this is uh, one of the... As I said, um, 
it was towards the kind of middle to tail end of the GameCube PS2 sort of lifespan where I had kind of fallen out with games and mm. I had become distracted and more kind of preoccupied with uh, music. That was kind of my key thing. Yeah. So it wasn't until years later that um, when I was kind of looking back at games at this time and what were the kind of classics, what were the kind of cult classics, what were the games that I had missed, essentially. And this was one of them. Now, obviously, it's a horror game, or at least horror-themed, so it wasn't uh, a game I was kind of stumbling over to get my hands on to play. Yeah. But it was heralded for doing some really interesting, unique things, so I had to at least get myself, you know, kind of clued up on what this game was doing. And, um, you know, it's interesting for Nintendo, uh, they bought the rights from Silicon Knights, who up until this point, you know, the, the most famous thing they'd done was Blood Omen Legacy of Kane, which is an okay PlayStation game, but mm. it's not by any means anything kind of, it's not one of the, the kind of classics of the, the, the original PlayStation. Um, but Silicon Knights, you know, for the GameCube, they did this, they did uh, the Twin Snakes version of Metal Gear Solid. Which I like. Uh, they also went on to do Two Human, which was yeah. <clears throat> not great. Not great. Uh, look up Zero Punctuation's review of Two Human. Yeah, their, their take on Norse mythology was a uh, um, flaw. A misfire, mm-hmm. shall we say. But one of the key things that I heard about this game is that it did some very interesting things, some kind of very fourth wall breaking mechanics, which was not something that I'd really uh, known that a video game could do at the time. Mm-hmm. And. Coming back to it years later, what I've really come to appreciate with horror games is that the best horror games are the ones that create that atmosphere and tension, but they create an enemy that isn't so kind of visibly obvious. So if you like Silent Hill 2, the The enemy enemy is the town. town. Yeah. Yeah. On our first playthrough, uh, I'm sorry, on our first week here where we spoke about The Last of Us, obviously... Um, the uh, the clickers and the, the zombies, they are enemies, but, you know, you have... Um, other people. The other people and that kind of... Um, Surviving in a harsh world. Yeah. Um, what's the, the book I'm thinking of? Um, Lord of the Flies kind of scenario where yeah. when men sort of turn on each other, and which is kind of a real fear that people have, you know, when society collapses, men turn back to their kind of primeval instincts to just cannibalize each other and, you know... The, the strongest survive, the alpha male. Mm. So here, with Eternal Darkness, while there are the enemies and they come in various forms um, and the kind of locations that um, Silicon Knights sets and the different sort of uh, the timeline and the different environments, you know, are really, really kind of varied and um, probably don't hold up as well today, but for the time, were incredible. But this idea that, you know, you have the sanity meter, the yeah. the kind of key mechanic, if you will, of this yeah. game. And I, I want to talk about that for a second. I'll just read what Wikipedia here says about it. Because I think this is, when I talked about things that should have been had a lasting legacy in video games, this is the one, really, that I'm, I'm looking at. So, the game's standout concept, patented by Nintendo, is the, that might be a little bit why, right there, is that the actual mechanic is patented. Yeah is the sanity meter a green bar on which uh, on screen which is depleted by various events generally when the character is seen by an enemy it can be restored by such actions as performing a finishing move on an enemy or casting a restorative spell as the bar becomes low subtle changes are made to the environment and random unusual events begin to occur reflecting the character's slackening grip on reality if the bar remains empty further damage to sanity decreases the player character's health 
One effect which is consistently used is a skewed camera angle accompanied by whispers, cries and unsettling noises. The lower the sanity meter, the more skewed the camera angle and the louder the sound effects. Fourth wall breaking effects include simulated errors and anomalies of the TV or GameCube, one being a blue screen of death. That This does not affect gameplay unless the player misconstrues them as actual technical malfunctions and attempts to correct them. There are many different sanity effects and their lengths depend on each effect. Not all effects will be necessarily encountered during a given run-through of a game. A few more commonplace examples include sounds, such as footsteps, women and children screaming, doors slamming, the rattling of chains and the sound of a blade being sharpened. The player character finding himself or herself walking upon the ceiling uh, upon entering a new room, walls and ceilings bleeding, the volume being lowered accompanied by a fake television volume indicator on the screen. That's my favourite one. And the appearance of large numbers of monsters that are not really there and disappear when attacked. Some sanity effects are character or area specific and reflect the individual's personal fears or experiences or take advantage of environmental features such as a statue whose head turns to follow the player. When the sanity effect is finished, everything goes back to normal and the character often utters a panicked statement to the effect of this can't be happening. Now, it blew my mind when I was playing the final boss sequence of Undertale last week and it includes this kind of 4-4 breaking um, thing that happens where the, the game crashes or air quotes crashes and then you load it back up and it goes the it goes back to the intro screen and then it glitches out and then the file was erased um and that was you know i know that that kind of stuff happens in games but it was still impressive to see to go back to like 2002 2003 where um you know a lot of people would be seeing this kind of thing for the first time it must have absolutely blown their minds mm. uh, like it's it's one of those things where Silent Hill 2 also does this that it's not kind of uh, focusing on visceral horror um, so Resident Evil is a series that focuses very much on the visceral and the visual and the, the kind of the, the obvious like the jump scares and the, there is definitely a sense of foreboding in the better Resident Evil games but generally it's about like you encounter a scary enemy who is trying to kill you you know that standard kind of almost like zombie movies or like slasher movies yeah, yeah. whereas Silent Hill and this sort of game definitely focuses on the mindfuck element of things. That it's not screwing with the player character as much as it is screwing with you directly, the player. And all these things, like, why there is no narrative reason for these fourth wall breaks, like slowly lowering the volume down or projecting fake malfunctions on the TV or the GameCube or any of these sort of things there are some great visual ones in here that aren't too kind of on the nose i think the one about loads of monsters that aren't really there is one of the more kind of straightforward ones but things like you know the walls bleeding the camera starting to skew the noise of women and children screaming mm -hmm. things like that it's all part of what i always say is the key thing with horror games so that is creating an atmosphere creating a mood this kind of sense of foreboding dread that's hanging over you as you're playing the game and the, the fact that this is not something that has been um 
ripped off by every game left right and center since is incredible to me i think some silent hill games have tried to do a version of that where rather than have a sanity meter things like if you ever watch playthroughs of downpour or some of the poorer silent hill games even some of the good silent hill games instead of having a sanity meter it will get a thing that the deeper you go into silent hill like there is definitely a progression between it looking like a, a normal slightly eerie town into an absolute hellmouth by the end yeah but nothing to the extent of like getting seen by an enemy is starting to affect your sanity because there's a weird uh, cognitive dissonance that takes place in a lot of horror games that very early on in games your player character seems to be inured to these horrifying monsters rather than freaked out every single time as they would be if mm. it was a real person so having this sanity meter is interesting because that does definitely keep up this this pretense that no matter how often you see these nightmare monsters it's always going to freak you out it's always going to make you think that your mind is falling apart it's just it is one of my favorite mechanics that has ever been in a video game and again just astonishing and the amazing <laughs> the amazing thing as well is that you know there are two we, we've said this there are two types of horror there's the kind of more graphic visceral element of horror horror that you see yeah. more from the west and there is the psychological horror which is very much a uh, kind of asian japanese These, uh, but also from the west as well because you think like kubrick hey, and there, there are elements there are elements. And, yeah, yeah, yeah not saying that they are completely diametrically opposed one yeah. does one one does the other but by and large you kind of classify one doing mm. one one doing the other but or also, um, like, uh, there's elements of kind of almost like Cronenbergian horror in here mm. with like the body horror and and but I will weird say visuals. I will say that when it comes to video games, by and large, you tend to find that the more psychological and Silent Hill is a good example mm. where the uh, early Konami Silent Hill games very much are on that kind of psychological front. Mm -hmm. Where when it moved over to America, it became yeah. a little bit more of that. Which, which is kind of style. funny because with Silent Hill in particular, it's a studio from the East who were trying to emulate Western horror. Mm. And there's a lot of homage, like all the streets in Silent Hill Two being named after horror writers, yeah, and yeah, yeah. the school in Silent Hill being designed after the school from Kindergarten Cop, yeah. and things like that. But the, but the it's, most it's a, a it's an Eastern sensibility. But the most impressive thing here is the fact that this is a North American company yeah. that go for that psychological horror yeah. uh, style, and they absolutely nail it mm -hmm. um, in a way that you know really only silent hill has kind of topped yeah, and that style another thing as well that the, the great horror games do like this and like silent hill and a couple of others is it doesn't talk down to its audience no. you know it expects you to live up to understanding the symbolism and living up the complexity one of the things we haven't touched upon yet is that as with a lot of horror games there is a puzzle element to them like different riddles and puzzles you need to solve going along those puzzles are bastard fucking hard they really are um like i'd say even if we went back today and we should actually just just even though we've we've already recorded this now we should just crack out the gamecube and have a go mm -hmm. um i'd like to have a look at the game and even better watch you play a horror game uh. Uh, <laughs> that would be entertaining to me but uh yeah it 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 doesn't it, it's not hand holding but there's a certain element of you know like if you're if you're on the gamecube you know that 
the average profile of a GameCube player at the time is going to be of a certain age, and it's not going to be on the more mature side, right? But still, they resisted the temptation to oversimplify things, which I think is one of the things you can definitely put against the likes of a Resident Evil, is that sometimes the, the horror in it is oversimplified. There's a certain element where they will lean on the obvious rather than the subtle. I think that's more the case with the latter ones. From yeah, like yeah, no, they're definitely onwards. more the case with the latter ones, but like some of the, even with the early ones, some of the more memorable things in it aren't subtle horror. They are... Oh, no, no. Like no. the dog coming through the window yeah, yeah. is the most easy thing in the world to do. It's easy well, to do a you jump You know, like scare. the first time the zombie kind of turns around to yeah. face you. Yeah, yeah. Cool, so it's that. easy to do that kind of thing. But... Again, this just subtlety. Subtlety is a thing that is lost in video games in general, but specifically in the horror genre. And people who wonder where the hell things have gone wrong and can't understand why they can't make a decent horror game nowadays, it's it's all down to that. I I mean, I'm not subtlety and atmosphere. I'm not going to say that uh, horror games or good horror games don't exist anymore. Um, They are few and far between, though. We are we are not in the golden age. I. That's a conversation for another day. That's yeah. actually going to be probably more about the game that we'll talk about next week. Um, mm-hmm. What I will say... I think that bucks the trend slightly, that one. Again? We'll talk about also, that. Also, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that next yeah, week. Yeah. The thing with um, Eternal Darkness as well, and it, it kind of actually follows a little bit of a theme between um, the Resident Evil and Sun Hill, is that you know these are all games that mechanically aren't great by any means, no. you know? They're, they're pretty clunky, but it all works within the setting of what the, the game is. Atmosphere is king. I yeah. keep saying that whenever we talk about horror games. And you will forgive a lot when the atmosphere is there. And not only that, sometimes the clunky mechanics, like in... I keep mentioning, but again, like in Silent Hill 2, the mechanics in it are clunky as all get out. But it actually adds to the foreboding. It adds to the dread. It you shouldn't be confident going into a fight with a monster in one of these horror games that you are going to survive it. And you definitely are never confident in Silent Hill 2. Well, this is the thing. And again, with uh, Eternal Darkness and Silent Hill, one of the the key factors to uh, making a good horror game is player agency and taking that power away from the player. Mm. And certainly for the game that we play next week as well, we'll we'll kind of be a key example of that. Being unarmed or or unprepared for the enemy. Yes. Uh, which definitely is next week's game as well. And even like, you know, we talked about Last of Us with Bullet Scarcity mm-hmm. and um, Bioshock, a game that's been on before. The the idea that you are trying to defeat your first enemy, you don't know what the fuck is going on and all you've got is a wrench and you're in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, that is another key thing about great horror is feeling like you are just going to scrape through and maybe not even. Yeah. Um, so I will get you to give me a, an elevator pitch for Eternal Darkness actually before that talk to me about um, you know there's been rumblings of a a sequel for for years uh, now Uh, Shadow of the Eternals is kind of the supposed sequel that Uh. hasn't seen the light of day what what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think personally just looking at what Dennis Dyack is up to at the moment where he's kind of he's going into more the media side of video games now at the moment he's promoting a lot on Twitter about like a YouTube channel that involves like conversations with devs and things like that so I think talk on that has fairly cooled off um what I want from Eternal Darkness I don't necessarily want a sequel 
but what I want is more in the lines of what you might call a spiritual successor nowadays. I want someone to take up the the challenge of making a game that does something similar, like where it doesn't talk down to its audience, it has these hard-as-bastard puzzles, it has this interesting and complex narrative, which there's a reason we haven't got into the narrative too much of this story, and that is it is so interwoven and complex to do it justice, we'd be adding another 20 minutes to this review. <laughs> Uh, and particularly the sanity meter, uh, trying to do something with that, using it again or trying to innovate upon that idea. But I'm not going to be sitting here like some of the Half-Life 3 maniacs or Beyond Good and Evil 2 maniacs that are going to be clamoring for any sniff of the possibility of a sequel. I really appreciate that this game got made. I can't, it's one of those Nintendo games you can't believe actually exist, like when they funded Bayonetta 2. Uh, so I'm just happy it's here. I'm happy I have it in my life. I'm happy I still have a copy of it for GameCube uh, and that I can go back to it anytime I want. But I don't necessarily feel the need for a direct sequel or something that, that continues or spins off on that same narrative. A spiritual successor yeah. will do it for me. Elevator oh, pitch. Elevator pitch. Go for it. Elevator pitch. Very, very simple. Play Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem because even within the strange genre that is horror, it is one of the most unique horror games that has ever been made, including, like we've kept harping back on, one of the greatest mechanics I have ever encountered in a video game in that sanity meter. It is a truly unique, truly complex, and at some points absolutely bastard hard game that will reward you for putting time into it that will punish you if you're a very very nervous person yeah uh and that is definitely one of the more unique experiences i have ever had playing a video game so that's that's my elevator pitch cool um so let's start wrapping up here the very last bit of business that we do every week is to tell you what is going to be on the book club next week give you a chance to play that game for a week to join in with the conversation either online or just even listening to our conversation next week as we talk about it and see kind of if we're all at the same sort of level with what we think about a game so our game for next week is a big one it's there are a lot of narratives surrounding this game independent of the actual game itself if you would even refer to it as a game i tell you what this one is actually going to be amazing because we might end up spending the most amount of time talking about this and it's the shortest one so next week's game for october on the book club is pt also known as pleasant times pleasant times playable teaser uh it's it's gonna be good uh i don't want to i don't want to kind of if you start, Get you into won't it. Start. I, I won't. I really won't. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go... I'm gonna. There, there is, if you Google it, there is a trick, even though it's not available on the PS4 store anymore. There is a trick, if you look it up, I think Kotaku and a couple of other places have an article that there is a way to dick with your DNS settings that will allow you to re-download that game, mm-hmm. which I am going to attempt probably right after this <laughs> podcast. Uh, so we recommend that you try it, if for nothing else, then it's fucking a masterpiece so yeah that's episode 41 of link to the cast in the in the basket three points we're done Boom. we'll get out of here but first let us tell you where you can contact us link to the cast.eu is the website it's where everything goes up it's where you get lovely articles it's where you get the show notes for the podcast 
all sorts of goodness up on linktothecast.eu. Linktothecast at gmail.com is where you can email us with thoughts, questions, anything like that. You just want to say hi to Mark. You think he's got a nice head of hair. He likes to hear all that sort of stuff. I do appreciate it. You can't inflate the man's ego too much. Lord knows I try to deflate it where possible. (laughs) Follow us on social media. These are the best places to go to see our content as it is posted. To be notified that there is some hot takes from Link to the Cast coming up. And that is facebook.com forward slash Link to the Cast. And at Link to the Cast on Twitter. We live stream things from time to time. That goes as part of our programming schedule. And that is over at twitch.tv forward slash Link to the Cast. If you are subscribed to us on Twitter, you will always get a notification when that stream is just starting up. So you can come in and chat with us as we're playing games. We had a good bit. We had a, we had a nice chat today with a with a young man or woman. I'm not sure. Someone was chatting with us as we were playing The Witness, and it was quite enjoyable. So please come in, give us your thoughts as we're Did playing through different yeah. games. Yeah, and Mark even got a little bit of help. Yeah, yeah. Um. We have a YouTube channel. If you search for Link to the Cast on YouTube, you'll find us there in amongst uh, Weakest Link videos. We should be the second search result there, the first channel result for Link to the Cast. Follow us on there and get all of our content. we got nearly 200 videos up there at this point. It's quite ridiculous that we've done that much work. But anyway, we have a Monday to Friday schedule on Link to the Cast, so you are always getting some hot content every single day of the week from us Monday to Friday. I'll run you through the weekly schedule here very quickly. Mondays is Mark on Mondays. Mark, you have finished Undertale. Ah. Was that this week's stream or is that going up next week where you beat Undertale? No, I think it's all part of this one. Yeah, it's all part of this one self-contained package. So I'm finished. I'm good. You're good. You're done. I'm done. Do you know or are you going to keep it mysterious what you're starting on then next week? Uh, I kind of know it's so one you, you of a couple of you want to shred it in mystery a little bit you want to we'll leave it at that you can sure. tune in yeah you can wait yeah. um all i know is that it is going to involve uh, a certain marsupial who likes to chow down on wumper fruit um i just need to figure out which one in the series but you know you can wait and find out so excellent tuesdays is book club tuesdays uh original book club features from old podcasts uh, sometimes a week before sometimes not uh, a previous book club from the podcast will go up on Tuesdays we also post an article on Tuesdays uh, we alternate between myself and Mark Mark what is up this week uh, so I have a review of Gears of War 4 so I've got a thousand words on that so yep. you can go and read that and um, we uh, just need to kind of decide which one of the many, many book club features I have uh, locked up on private at the moment, which one we want to unlock. So Yeah, we'll <laughs> unlock one of those. So by the time you listen to this, there'll be a, there'll be a book club up there fresh for you. Uh, and I'll be doing the article next week. And I will shred that in mystery as yep. well, because I have a couple of things I've been thinking about. Cool. Uh, then we have Thursday, which is the day the podcast comes out. That's the only thing that comes out that day. It's a Our podcast is the longest form thing we do, so we want to give you that day to digest that. And we finish off the week with Friday of Plays, which is my solo play series, although I have been accompanied by Mark for the last couple of them because we played through Virginia, the pair of us together. Yeah, it's been on some things I've been interested in. So. Yeah, and now we're starting off with Life is Strange. The very first one of those went up last Friday. There will be another one going up this Friday, and that is a very interesting and idiosyncratic experience uh, that I'm quite enjoying so far. Uh, thank you, Barry, for the recommendation on that one. We also we always do uh, accept recommendations yeah. for what we should be playing. Um, 
that's really it then. Yeah, yep, we're, we're good for done. The week. So for another week on Link to the Cast, that man over on the couch there has been Mark Robinson, aka at Lithium Project on the Tweet Machine. Mm-hmm. I have been at Dave Ryan IV. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. Thank you.